John chapter 16, that's page 902. If you want to grab the Bible right in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 902. Uh, that's where you will find our passage uh, this morning. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, just want you to know, if you're a guest with us, we believe that this Bible is the inspired word of God himself. Um, we believe that God has preserved uh, his word for us so we can know him and love him and worship him. And, and, and we don't think that what I'm about to say today really matters at all, unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. We want to collectively be a church that believes it. It really doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says needs to become what we think. And, and that changes your life if you believe that, if you believe in the authority of God's word. And so I don't necessarily want you to just take my word for it, but I want you to know where we stand and I want you to see God's word for yourself in John 16 because that's what changes us. And, and what we believe about the authority of God's word is actually preemptively validated by Jesus in our passage today. Uh, but that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. Uh, we, we're, we're in John 15 through 17, uh, which is uh, the farewell discourse of Jesus. Uh, these are the last words of instruction that Jesus gave to his closest followers before heading to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he would be arrested and then later crucified. Um, and so all of Jesus' words are true and, value, are true and valuable. All of Scripture is true and valuable. So just because these are the last words of Jesus doesn't make them more inspired. I don't, I don't want to give that impression at all because you can't get more inspired than the inspired word of God. It's all true. It's all valuable. And, and this is such a unique window into this conversation, the last day of Jesus' life. And as Jesus shares his heart with the disciples, our desire for the series has been that our hearts would align with Jesus' heart for us, because we want to want what Jesus wants, because what he wants is better for us than whatever we think we want for ourselves. And in and the, and the last couple of weeks, we have seen Jesus promise really two main realities. Uh, first, he promised the apostles that they could expect to be persecuted and even killed for the name of Jesus. But he also promised that the Holy Spirit was coming. Uh, the Holy Spirit that was working in Doug and Mary while they were on their trip, he was, he was coming. And Jesus went as far as to say that it was to the disciples' advantage that he go away because that meant that the Holy Spirit would come, which tells me I need to rely on the Holy Spirit more, by the way. If the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus next to us, we need to value the Holy Spirit in us more than we currently do. Uh, but part of the reason that the disciples were going to experience persecution is because the mission of the Holy Spirit— was to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, which is not necessarily a mission that is readily appreciated and accepted. Um, and, and, and the Holy Spirit was not just going to use the apostles to bring conviction to the world by empowering their spoken word, but also by inspiring the written word. Th throughout this last conversation, that Jesus is having with the disciples, he is previewing that the Holy Spirit was going to inspire some of them in the writing of what we now know as the New Testament. And once you start looking for that in John 13 through 17, you start to see it all over the place. Uh, uh, it, it, first, the first place that I think you see it is in chapter 14. Uh, verses 25 through 26. Look at this on the screen. This is what Jesus has already said to them during this conversation. He said, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How are the apostles supposed to remember everything that Jesus said to them while they were with him? 
right? How, how can we be sure that the accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? How can we be sure that they are accurate when they wrote them years after walking with Jesus, right? I mean, when you think about that on a human level, it actually seems kind of impossible that they would get all those details right because we don't just have a human book. We have a supernatural book, right? It's not just on a human level. The Holy Spirit was going to do this. He was going to inspire human authors to write his exact word using their unique backgrounds and perspectives, bringing back to their memory the things that Jesus had said and done. And then so much of Jesus' words in chapter 16 that we were in last week and we continue in today are more easily understood when we see them within the context of the Holy Spirit inspiring these men to write God's word. The, the human author of our text today, the Apostle John, was listening. He was there. He was listening to Jesus say these words on the night of his arrest. Look at this, John 16, 12 through 15. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is a great passage showing the reality of the Trinity, by the way. Uh, which is admittedly confusing, but immensely important for us to understand. Our, our God is three in one. One God, three persons. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is not a term that you ever see used in Scripture, but it's a term that we use to describe what we see throughout the Scripture, which is that we have one God and three persons. The Father, Son, and Spirit are all presented as divine, and they are presented as one. And all three of them are in view here, just in verse 15. Just in verse 15, right right here. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, Jesus, that he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. They're They're all there. And Jesus' primary focus for this passage is on the Holy Spirit and the guidance he is going to provide for the apostles after Jesus' departure. So as we walk through this passage... We're just going to see the the need, extent, source, and purpose of the Spirit's guidance. And I hope as we see that and the need the apostles had, we see our own need as well. Why did the apostles need the Spirit's guidance? Uh, One reason is back in verse 12. I still have many things to say, but you cannot bear them now. Uh, We we talked last week uh, about how the disciples had been completely overwhelmed, right? And unable to process all the information that they were getting on this night from Jesus. So much had happened in this condensed period of time. Judas leaving to betray him. Jesus talking about what's about to happen to him next. How he's not going to be with them anymore. How they're going to be persecuted and killed one day. And and there's just no way for them to be able to comprehend it all. They were just sad. Sorrow had filled their heart and and they were scared. And it was about to get worse before it got better. And, And Jesus knows Right? And he's able to read the room, and he says, I have, I have a lot more to say, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious if you think about it from the disciples' perspective, because they must have been like, there's more? <laughs> like, what else? What else could there possibly be? Uh, it's, it's almost like when someone tells you this terrible or shocking news, and then they keep talking, right? 
<laughs> probably trying to explain or make you feel better, and you have no idea what they're saying anymore, do you? Right? Because all you can think about is the shocking news that they told you at first, and you can't even hear them anymore. I think that is what is happening about here. And, and you could speculate about what else Jesus wanted to tell them uh, but didn't, but I think you should be careful with that because he, he doesn't say. He doesn't say. Uh, but, but the disciples weren't ready. They, they, they already had more than they could handle or understand. So, so we have to see this. They had Jesus right? The Word made flesh, truth in bodily form right in front of them. And and in this sense, it wasn't enough. I'm going to try to remember this passage the next time I think that if I just had Jesus next to me to explain what was happening in my life, then my life would make a lot more sense. The disciples would probably say, yeah, good luck with that, right? Because they were with Jesus every day for three years, and they spent a lot of that time confused, Right? They didn't understand what was happening. They, they didn't get it. And Jesus was trying to tell them, and, and, they, and they missed it. They missed it. Uh, they, they believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he had the words of life. They believed that he was worth giving up everything for in order to follow him. But they still spent a lot of time confused. They still struggled with fear. They still didn't understand God's plan. They didn't know why Jesus had to go to the cross. They didn't know why Jesus had to leave them and return to the Father. They didn't even expect Jesus. Jesus to rise from the dead, even though he had tried to tell them. And Jesus doesn't seem overly concerned that they weren't ready. Why? Because he knows the Spirit is still coming. And this week, I've been mentally comparing the fearful, sad, confused disciples we see following Jesus through the Gospels to the fearless, joyful, confident disciples we see making other followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. Right, have you ever compared that? The, the disciples in the Gospels to the disciples in the book of Acts. The same group of men, completely different outlooks on life. What changed? Two events. The resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Seeing the risen Christ and no longer just having the word of truth next to them, but the spirit of truth in them changed everything. And I think it is fair to say that if you want to go through life without fear, joyful and confident, which, by the way, who doesn't want that, right? A fearless, joyful, confident life. Is that, is that what you want? I, that, that's what I want. I want a fearless, joyful, confident life. Here's what you need in order for that to be true of you. You need to know that Jesus is a risen Savior, and you need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, not outside of you, but in you. Life gets so confusing so fast when we don't know where Jesus is, resurrected and seated at the right hand of God, and when we don't depend on the Holy Spirit who indwells all followers of Jesus. Look at the promise in verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. There's a couple things to see in this verse. First, we see the extent of the Spirit's guidance. Jesus claims that the Holy Spirit would lead the apostles into all the truth. Why do we have confidence that what we are reading today is the Word of God itself? It's because we believe that the writers of the Bible were writing under the guidance, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And I, I know that's a massive claim, which is why I said it before us every single Sunday at the beginning of every message, right? Jesus had repeatedly validated what we now know as the Old Testament throughout his ministry. He quoted it as the word of God. So if you, don't, if you think the Old Testament doesn't matter, try telling that to Jesus, who quotes it as the authoritative word of God over and over and over again. And, and now, and now the word is in human form, right? And and he is preemptively validating what the Holy Spirit was going to lead the apostles to write. Peter, John, Matthew, the Spirit's going to lead and guide you into all the truth. So, ready for some bold claims that, that I fully believe? Ready or not, here they come. I believe that all truth is God's truth because God is truth. Which means that if you are searching for the truth, whether you know it or not, you are searching for the one true God. And your desire for truth will never truly be satisfied unless you find the truth about who Jesus really is. And God has chosen to reveal the truth about Jesus, the incarnate word, in the written word. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us is guiding us into the truth of God's word that he guided New Testament authors to write. So if you want the Holy Spirit to guide your life, that begins with him guiding you into the truth of God's word. Don't buy into the idea that you need some extra word from God that is outside of the word that has already been written and preserved for us. I think it was MacArthur who said, and this is profound, I loved it, the Holy Spirit is our teacher and the curriculum is the word of God. The Holy Spirit is our teacher The curriculum is the word of God. He helps us understand God's truth. He helps us apply it to our lives. He convicts us of sin that doesn't line up with God's truth. He's our teacher, and he doesn't go off script. He has a curriculum. It's God's word. He doesn't guide us outside of it. He guides us into it. It is impossible to be receptive to the leading of the spirit of truth unless we are first filling our minds with the word of truth. Everything that we need for life and godliness is found in this book. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, Jesus says, and declare it to you. Uh, This is the source of the Spirit's guidance. The Holy Spirit is not an independent agent. He speaks what he hears from the Word, Jesus. And Jesus is not an independent agent either, by the way. This is the unity and interdependence of the Trinity. God the Father plans. God the Son carries it out. The Spirit of God empowers We see that in creation as well as in our redemption. The redeeming work of God was planned by God the Father before the foundation of the world. It was then carried out by God the Son when the fullness of time had come. And it was empowered by the Spirit of God. And Jesus promised that when he returned to the Father, the Holy Spirit would come and he would declare to the the apostles truth about Jesus. Even the truth that they weren't ready for For, as Jesus was speaking to them here. So Jesus says the Spirit is going to declare what is to come. Have you thought about that? Verse 13, at the end of verse 13, he's going to declare what is to come. I believe that John, writing the book of Revelation about future events 
right? The, the return of Jesus, his defeat of Satan, his eternal reign, that revelation about what is to come, I believe is previewed by Jesus right here in verse 13. And the Holy Spirit is not only going to remind the apostles of what Jesus had already said and done, he's also going to reveal truth about what is coming. And this is how the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, as we saw last week. It's through the truth of the word. It's in God's word that we see that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, that none of us are righteous in the eyes of God, but because his standard of righteousness is not whether we're better than other people, his standard of righteousness is himself, that judgment is coming because God is just, he's going to make the wrong things right, he's going to bring the darkness to light. This, this is what the Holy Spirit inspired human authors to write, and the Holy Spirit had a really good source for that information. What are your sources? It was Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit wasn't speaking on his own authority, but declaring what he had heard directly from Jesus, because they're one, because they're one. And because of that, Jesus says this in verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So this is the purpose of the Spirit's guidance. The Spirit guides us into all the truth of God's word, in order to glorify Jesus. In order to glorify Jesus. And I think it's easy to miss uh, some of the massive implications of that statement. Think about this. When Jesus says that the Spirit is going to glorify me, Jesus is either claiming to be God, or he is claiming that the Holy Spirit will commit idolatry. In saying that the Spirit is going to glorify Jesus, Jesus is either claiming to be God or claiming that the Holy Spirit commits idolatry. I'll let you guess which one I believe. <laughs> okay? The Bible is clear that God alone deserves our worship. That God alone deserves to be seen and valued as glorious. So in Jesus saying that the Spirit's purpose is to glorify me, Jesus, he is claiming the divine right to glory that God alone possesses. When you start to look for the deity of Jesus, you see it all over the place. The Bible is about Jesus because the Bible is about God. The Old Testament is pointing us to our need for Jesus, our, our need for redemption, our need for someone to save us from our sin and to a righteousness that is not our own because that's the only way that we could be brought back from our brokenness into a right relationship with God the Father. The prophets, right, when speaking about a coming Messiah, they're talking about Jesus, as Mary was trying to tell to that Jewish woman about Yeshua, right? It's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus, right? Uh, that doesn't mean, by the way, that we read Jesus into every single sentence and story in the Old Testament. But it does mean that we read the whole of the Old Testament narrative knowing that it is pointing us towards Christ. At the beginning of the New Testament, we have four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus culminating in his death burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then the rest of the New Testament shows us the transformation that Jesus brings in our new lives that are connected with him and in uniting us as the church. As we look forward to the return, judgment, and eternal reign of Christ. The Bible is all about Jesus and how he alone brings us into right relationship with God the Father both now and forever. So, if studying and learning God's word doesn't lead us to glorify Jesus 
in our hearts and with our lives, we've missed the point. If you're just studying the Bible and going to Bible studies so you can prove to people how much you know about the Bible, in other words, to glorify yourself, you've missed the point. The point of the Bible is to lead us to glorify Jesus, to lead us to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit's purpose was to glorify Jesus. I I love this about our Trinitarian God, by the way. The different members of the Godhead are always amplifying the others. So we see God the Father say, this is my son, right, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We see God the Father highly exalts Jesus and gives him a name that is above every name. At the same time, we constantly see Jesus amplify the Father, the height of which was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, not my will, right, but your will be done. In this passage, Jesus has been pointing the disciples to the Spirit. It's better, guys, right? It's better that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come. And then we see the Spirit amplify Jesus, revealing truth about who Jesus is for the purpose of Jesus's glorification. So there's this beautiful dance going on within the Trinity where the persons of God are amplifying each other. And I think this sums up the entire passage. Jesus is God's culminating self-disclosure. God's final self-expression. So from the beginning of creation, God had been revealing himself. Creation, general revelation, reveals the character of our creator to everyone who is willing to see it. And then God had given his word, special revelation. He had spoken through the prophets in the Old Testament, revealing more and more of who he's like and revealing more and more of his plan of redemption. And then the word became flesh. Jesus is the ultimate climactic word of God. This is Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I love that. What an opening to a book of the Bible, by the way. Like, just bring it, author of Hebrews. I love it. God had spoken through the prophets, and then climactically, God spoke through Jesus. God himself coming into the world. And then God sent his spirit to the apostles because they weren't ready for everything Jesus was teaching while he was with them. But the Holy Spirit wasn't adding to Jesus' words. He wasn't speaking on his own authority. He was speaking what Jesus, the climactic word, said. So the spirit guided them further into the truth about Jesus from Jesus, right? And inspired them to write down the truth about Jesus from Jesus. So now, all these years later, we can open God's word for ourselves and see and glorify Jesus. God's ultimate self-disclosure. How do I know that God is both great and good? How do I know that God is loving? How do I know that God is patient? How do I know that God is forgiving? It's because God sent himself. Jesus, into the brokenness of our world that was broken because of our rebellion against him, 
Because we didn't trust his good design for us. When, When you look at the life of Jesus in the Bible, you are seeing the ultimate revelation of what God is like. You see his greatness through his miracles. You see his goodness through his perfect life that we failed to live. You, you see his love because while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the just punishment for all of our sin on himself at the cross. He, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin in the grave. He ascended into heaven, promising to return. So if you come to the end of yourself and place your faith instead in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, if you say, Jesus, I need you to be the king of my life, you will experience the forgiveness of God. Jesus' righteousness credited to your account. You become part of his eternal family and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower you to live, not based on who you used to be, but based on your new identity in Christ. How does that happen? How does that happen? It happens when the Spirit of God guides us to the Word of God for the glory of God. That's his mission. The Spirit of God guides us to the Word of God for the glory of God. This is why I want to start every day by asking the Holy Spirit to guide and empower my life. And then I open up God's Word because the Spirit doesn't guide us away from or apart from it. He guides us deeper into it. And I just wonder, is is that what happens in your life? Is this what you're seeing happen in your life? Are you seeing the Spirit of God guide you deeper into his Word so you can live for Jesus' glory? If not, we'd love to help you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to get you connected to Jesus, connected to his word, connected to other people that can encourage you. This is how we live fearless, joyful, confident lives when we know where Jesus is and we depend on the spirit who is in us, guiding us deeper into his truth. Amen, church? I hope that's what you want. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we don't have to live with fear and doubt and confusion, but we can live fearless, joyful, and confident because truth is not outside of us. It is now in us, and it is in front of us. Thank you, Spirit, for the work that you are continuing to do. Thank you for how you used Doug and Mary on their trip to just bring the good news of Jesus to people, to be your ambassadors, your hands and feet. And I pray that we would all live depending on your spirit more and more, depending on the truth of your word more and more, because it contains everything that we need for life and godliness. Thank you for the passion that Jesus had for our souls. I pray that we would live for and honor you each and every day. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.